Hello, friends. Welcome to the latest episode of the One More for Safety podcast. My name's Colton Lee, and today my guest is Michael MacArthur. Michael is a singer-songwriter based in Lakeland, Florida. I believe it's Lakeland. Irrelevant. He's based in Florida. His latest release, Milky Stars, was produced by my good friend, Jakir King. Uh, I got to work on that record a little bit, and it was a blast. Just top-notch musicians all around. Great songs. Go check it out. Michael and I had a blast talking about songwriting, inspiration, and how it's bullshit. John Mayer and how he's a genius. And just turning pro, showing up and treating this like a real job. I hope you enjoy. I think we're we're all caught up. We're good with the tech stuff. So I just want to like I want to jump kind of right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So I I, I ask pretty much everybody this just because it's so fascinating to me how everyone sort of gets their start. Like at at what age did you get into music and did it? Do you come from a music family, like a musical family, or did it something that you just came to on your own? I think I do come from a musical family, but, um, you know, I have like my, my dad used to play. I remember he had this guitar in his, in a case in his closet. And I would always, whenever my parents divorced when I was three, but I would go visit him on the weekends and I'd go straight to the closet and make him play stuff. You know, so I have those kind of memories. Yeah. My uncle, his brothers, uh, my uncles, when they were my age, they pursued music as a career and they're great songwriters and great guitar players. So, so yeah, I guess I do. Yeah. The the interesting thing though is that is that my musical background is kind of eclectic. So mm-hmm. because my you know MacArthur is uh that's you know obviously my dad's side but my mom is Puerto Rican. So she was playing okay. you know like Gloria Stefan and Julio Iglesias and all these different you know Jose Feliciano and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I'd go to see my dad and he was playing like Stevie Wonder and Van Morrison and James Taylor and people like that. So um so I was always around it, and I, for as lo- as far back as I can remember, music was all I was interested in. Like I did that. I got one of those uh, Columbia House flyers in the mail. If you if you've heard of this, but they would, I don't know what the scam was, but <laughs> it was basically like you for like a penny a CD, you could get like three or five CDs a month. I forget what the deal was. Okay. But, I did that like without my parents knowing I found a stamp and I mailed it in like my pennies in and, and I got the CD. So I, they never got any more, any other money from me. So I'm pretty sure I won on that one. Yeah. But, um, who's can uh, to, you know, I was in chorus and when I was in elementary school and band in middle school, I was a percussionist was the first instrument I ever played was percussion instruments. Okay. And then, um, when I was, and I, and I was, and I started singing really young when I was five and, uh, when I was 16, my grandfather bought me my first guitar. So that oh, at that wow. point is when, you know, I, I wanted to start playing guitar because I was tired of singing along to other music and I wanted to start writing my own stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of when I, that's kind of when I started writing songs when I was 16. 16, yeah. I I actually, uh, I was going to ask you that because you're, um, I, I assume your main instrument is guitar. That's what I've seen you mostly play. Um, yeah. And you're you're fucking great at it. But I was I was curious as to like, did you start guitar wanting to be a guitar player, or what you just answered was you started guitar because you wanted to be able to accompany yourself and to be able to write songs, which I feel are very two distinct uh, paths that a lot of people take. 
Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they really are. When I first started playing guitar, I did, I wanted to be the, like, I wanted to be able to shred on stage. I was, I was uh, always fascinated by those people that could get up there and just rip, you know, yeah. because it's, yeah. there's so much electricity behind that. There are things that the guitar can do um, from a range standpoint that a voice can't do or like yeah. that most voices can't do. Right. And um, the acrobatics of it and all that stuff, it's like, it was always so electric to me. So yes, initially I wanted to be able to, to shred. And yeah. I, I found out pretty quickly that I, um, it didn't affect me doing it as much as I thought it would. Oh, that's interesting. So like, yeah. So like, um, like growing up, I listened to a lot of people like the, the, my heroes are people that played instruments and wrote songs. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make the connection when I first started playing. I didn't, it's not like I picked up a guitar and was like, I want to be a singer songwriter, you right. know, I just loved music, but I learned pretty quick that the guitar playing electric guitar was not affecting me, um, on that sort of like that musical spirituality level that I wanted it to. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I started writing songs because most of the stuff that I was into were songs, songs with lyrics and mm-hmm. stories and um, artists that had unique voices, not necessarily the greatest sing- singers. Some of them were really incredible singers, but just some somebody with something uh, unique and a unique story to go with it. That's what I was, that's what really impa- impacted me. So I wanted to be able to do that for someone else. Like, yeah, I wanted to be able to write a song and somebody listened to it and be like, man, I was going through this thing this year and that song, you know, yeah. was it for me. And I still have that when I, when I, I can listen to a song that, and I'm sure it's the same for everybody, but that I haven't heard in a long time. And the minute I hear it, it takes me back to a very specific moment in time. Oh, I yeah. can even smell the things, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, I can smell the air. And those two and things are it, so closely intertwined of like, yeah. it's almost like, you know, they say scent is so closely, t- the closest tied sense to memory is scent. Mm. But I feel like music gets uh, confused in there too, of like, you'll hear, you can hear a piece of music and you're instantly transported back to a time and a place. And um, I think that's a big part of why like this sort of nostalgic, like pop, pop, punk rock things coming back uh, yeah. and, into vogue right now is because there's a lot of like guys my age and or guys and girls my age that are like hearing those things and you're instantly transported back to like a more simple and fun high school time or whatever it is. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting to hear you phrase. I've never really heard somebody phrase it that way of like, uh, it didn't affect you the way that you thought it would. And, and sort of having that, um, I guess, clarity of mind to be like, well, this isn't it. What else, what else can I do instead of like, I'm not going to be the, sh- like the shredder guy. Cause that doesn't really do it for me. And to like, kind of keep at it and find your way through it is, is, it shows that how how much you had the music bug, I think, because I I know a lot of people that started uh, guitar or an instrument and then just realized maybe how difficult it was or it didn't affect them in the way they wanted it to, and they just let it go. They just yeah, you know, don't pick it back up again. 
you know? Right. Well, and yeah, and it's all hard. The thing about it is, it's like, there's no easy to be great at anything, whether it's guitar or writing a song or playing the acoustic guitar or the drums or the bass, anything. It's all hard if you want to be good at it, you know? It yeah. all takes serious commitment and dedication and and figuring out the ins and outs of whatever that thing is. And but but also not just learning mechanically how to do the thing, but how do you know music is uh for me anyway is is all about soul. You know, a lot mm. of stuff that I grew up on was soul music and uh, you can be technically the greatest guitar player and that's so impressive and I'll never be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But there's something about somebody that can play three notes and make each of those notes absolutely weep that yep. I'm just like, fuck, you know, that's, that's where it's at. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think on some deep level, we all kind of have an inherent understanding of that too, of like, I'm just, I'm instantly taken to like Instagram when you're saying that of like, I don't know about you, like I'm a guitar geek and wanted to be a shredder growing up too. So like, that's still, I'm still very much an adolescent idiot when it comes to guitar. And it's, that's what I do for fun. So like on Instagram, you'll go through and you see guys that are just dismantling the guitar as far as yeah. like technical prowess through the fucking roof. And they're like, you know, 16 or something. Like the, it's just, the, <laughs> the bar has been raised so fucking high yeah. uh, with guitar but there's a fucking million of them mm -hmm. on it. There's like every day I'll find some new guy that I'm like, Jesus Christ, like where did this dude come from? Or like some, you know, 12 year old Russian girl that's like crushing it. And it's like, what in the world? But there's only a handful of like Jimi Hendrix, Stevie mm. Ray Vaughan, or like a BB King who's known for his like, you know, two to three note phrase kind of thing of like, those are the ones that resonate. And there's something to that of like, you can wow people um, with all the fireworks and shit, but if you don't really have the soul to back it up and it's really just a display of technical prowess, then it just doesn't really connect. And I think that's also probably a, like, <laughs> I'm getting really deep, but it's like a deeper societal like reflection of the way things are now of like flash mm. and like, look at me, look at me is kind of more... Um, at people's forefront, you know yeah. what I mean? Of like, that's what's seeming to be valued is like, look how great I am. Mm. And um, I just don't, I don't feel like it, it was like that with a lot of the, the legends that we sort of still hold in, in high regard. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. And I think it comes down to, you know, people, listeners don't connect with the guitar. They connect with a person playing the guitar. So mm -hmm. the... um the guitar is an extension of humanity, of your personal humanity. Mm -hmm. So those guitar players that you mentioned, the Jimi Hendrix and B.B. King and Stevie Ray Vaughan, mm -hmm. the reason why those people are remembered today, in my opinion, is one, yes, they're incredible, but because they, um, they were able to play the guitar in a way that connected with people, and that was because they made it their own. They had their own sound. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, it, it's like you're using your hands, you know, your hands are on your body to play this thing, but, but it's all coming from your mind and your heart. And, 
And yeah. um, if you can play the guitar in a way that is different or in, like, interesting and compelling in some way that makes people go, I've never heard it quite like that before. Yeah. Th- then you'll, then people are going to remember you. Yeah. I, that actually, that reminds me of a, um, a sort of a, an, an interesting story that goes along with that and sort of the uniqueness of everybody's, uh, everybody, I've, I've always said that like everybody's hands are different when they touch an instrument. It's how you, you hold the pick versus how I hold the pick, how mm. I, it's like the micro details really make up who, who you are and how you sound. And there's a story I remember reading of, uh, it was like, I think it was Ted Nugent was on tour with Van Halen mm. and Eddie was doing a sound check and like Ted wanted to go play his guitar and like sound like Eddie. And he was all excited to be like, man, I'm going to get that sound. Like I've been, everyone's trying to get that sound. And he like plugged in and went, ah, I sound like me still. Yeah. And it was like this big letdown. And it's like, nobody can sound like Eddie. And that's, yeah. it's those people that make, make the instrument their own are, uh, are the ones that sort of stand the test of time. For sure. Um, that actually leads me to something I did want to ask of, um, and we sort of touched on it, of, of who your earliest influences were starting out. Yeah, my earliest, like the first song I learned to play and sing at the same time was, uh, I was 16 and it was Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. So like, now with with um, American Idol and the voice and all this stuff, that song's been covered a million times. Yeah, but this is twenty years ago. You know, it's like yeah. I did it before any of that stuff. Um, but uh, and I love Bill. Like one of my favorite records of all time is his Live at Carnegie Hall album. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, it's I'm trying it to is recall. So good, like the energy in the room and just his the way that he interacts with the audience between songs yeah and it's uh you know he's got james gatson on the drums and um and and the way he plays guitar it's just like the whole thing is just really really good yeah it's a it's I'm, a moment you should i'm gonna i'll have to check that record out i, I don't believe i don't believe i've heard it all the way um, yeah so that was an early one for me um uh thriller that i had that on cassette that was early for me I had the Boys to Men 2 album <laughs> Hell yeah. on CD, yeah. and I burned a hole in that, man. Dude, yeah. I learned singing to, I learned how to sing, singing along to like Boys to Men and <laughs> um, Stevie Wonder. I had this dub, like this live, I forget the name of it now, but it was this live double disc, double CD uh, Stevie Wonder album, and I had that, and I played it over and over again, learned all the runs, all the little intricacies of what he was doing with his voice. I learned it all. Yeah. I'm not saying it, I sounded good, but I learned it. <laughs> yeah, and um, and, yeah. Uh, and also I was much younger. Like I could never sing those notes now. <laughs> but like they they taught me how to sing. And then the older I got, I got into like, you know, through the '90s, I got into what a lot of people were into with uh, you know Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots, and that yeah. list goes on and on. Yeah, what a run there was there. What's the, that? What a run there was of bands in the '90s that like are just unbelievable in the early nineties. Like unbelievable. Unbelievable. My, it was such my, a vibe. My brother and, and I were talking about it yesterday. It's like, good Lord, the amount of just classic music that came out of that. Right. What people at yeah. the time were kind of shitting on, uh, at least when I was in high school too, they would talk about like grunge, like, Ugh. 
It's like, dude, those are some of the most classic records we have at this moment, at least in my opinion. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, and when you listen to them now, there's especially like if you listen to Nirvana, it's just so it's so musical and um and complex. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh but it but it doesn't you doesn't it doesn't hit you in that way, but it is. It's like that's that's not easy. And you know, and it's like I heard this the other day when somebody was uh talking about people that you know criticize art any mm-hmm. kind of art somebody says something like oh i could do that but the thing is is like no no you can't because you have to have the idea first yeah before you could even begin to sit down to do that and that that's the thing is like having the idea being willing to try something um i don't know why we got off on that but anyway and i eventually got into hip-hop and uh as i got uh continued getting older people like Tom Waits and uh, mm-hmm. Van Morrison and Bruce Springsteen and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. The goats. Yeah. 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 That's um, that is funny. Cause I, I talk about sort of the, the armchair quarterbacking of the, of the internet or people that shit on art. And it's like, they're, they're only saying that cause they're not, they're not doing it and they wish they were and they wish they mm. could, but they just, you know, didn't for whatever reason or didn't have the desire or talent to pursue that sort of thing so there's a lot of like stone casting uh right that's that's really just done out of envy and jealousy i think because i mean frankly a lot of people are stuck in jobs that they don't they don't like at all and it's just a nine to five and i have to get up and i have to go to this place i don't like and do this thing that i don't like and I see other people that are doing things that make them happy and like fulfill them. And it kind of irks me a little bit. So I might cast a, a stone or two, you know? It's, yeah. It's, it's kind yeah. Of sad, it's, but. it's, um, it's, it is sad. It's disappointing because it, you know, in my opinion, there can never be too much art. And mm-hmm. even if, you know, if people understood what it took to make something, that is as personal as art is and then share it and then be willing to share it with people. Yeah. And essentially when you share it, you are opening it up to the opinions of others. It's just part of it. Right. And as an artist, you kind of have to have, you have to have this thick skin because otherwise that stuff starts to creep in and you, and it starts to affect the way that you make your art. Mm -hmm. And you don't want that because the, the thing that makes great art great is that it's, it's uh, so deeply connected to who the artist is at least my favorite art is so um i wish people would be kinder you know i wish people would be uh would uh even if you're not into it to just be like well i'm not into it but i love that they're trying kind of thing i think that'd be yeah i think that'd be better for everyone i agree in fact i it's funny though because you'll find people that just criticize anybody like i recently saw a uh a criticism of John Mayer who like, I, I love John Mayer. I think he's one of our like, uh, living icons as far as like what he's done in his career and his songwriting. And he's a, an amazing musician, but the criticism was like, he doesn't show off enough his musicianship on his records. And it was just like the way I've always viewed it. And this is just my own personal, I'm sure, bias on it it was just like john is always seemingly playing 3d chess or 4d chess of like the record is just to get you to come to the live show and the record the records have zero fat like there's nothing on any of his records 
instrument wise or arrangement wise that really doesn't need to be there i feel like they've just they chip away and chip away until it's zero fat and then you go to a live show and it's all the fat it's like 10 minute jam before the song starts and then the you know five minute solo section where everybody sort of gets a turn and it's this like that's the experience but people latch on to this one thing like oh you don't show off enough and it's like Mm. It's just people find criticisms for anything. Anyways. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, well, I, I, dude, I actually, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, I, John Mayer was one of, I mean, I grew up listening to his music and he was one of the people that showed me that you could, um, uh, because I feel like when he was writing songs, they were so smart like they were so well thought out, like the lyric in a time where some, there was a lot of stuff that was um, uh, like, at least on the radio anyway, uh, mm-hmm. the, there was a lot of stuff that was pretty, we kind of touched on it earlier. It was pretty shallow, you know, it was like surface yeah. level only And his stuff, even the way that he plays guitar, it runs so deep and it's so well thought out. Totally. Dude, I had the any given Thursday DVD. I watched yeah, that too. thing so many times. And um same thing with the uh, obviously where the light is. That's a classic. And dude, totally. I've listened to all his records. He's he's incredible. Yeah. I had that same um you, you mentioned sort of like the at the time when he came out, the radio was a little shallow. And I remember like I was a metalhead. I I mean I am a metalhead, but uh <laughs> at that at that time I was like deep metalhead when that um, Room for Squares came out and it was like, I remember seeing the um, No Such Thing video on like MTV or some shit and kind of be like, who was this fucking, you know, guy? My mom would probably like him or whatever. And then <laughs> uh, and then I, I remember somebody gave me like his tab book and I learned No Such Thing on acoustic and was like, holy shit. Yeah what is going on here? Like, it's so complex. There's so many different things going on, but you don't ever really notice it in the arrangement. Mm -hmm. And that was like the light bulb moment for me of like, oh, okay, this guy's brilliant. And I need to like dive deeper into what's going on here. Yeah, man. Yeah, because he was, you're right, because he was like one of the first, uh, not in the history, but like in our our generation or generation before that, that brought the guitar back into popular music. Yeah, you know, and 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 like like fucking badass, complicated guitar stuff. Yeah, and he did it really sneakily too. Of like, he oh, didn't man. really know it. Yeah, like, well, it's because it was musical. Still, right. it wasn't just. It was still very melodic and musical. Even though, even his solos, when he plays a solo, it's like maybe maybe the response to that person that criticized him not showing off enough is like he. I feel like he. I don't know him, but I feel like he is trying to play the guitar like Aretha Franklin is trying to sing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, it's, um, Oh yeah. I could go on and on about it. I, I'm a, I'm endlessly a John Mayer fan. Awesome. Um, excuse me. Too much coffee. And it's fucking up. Um, <laughs> what time is it there now? Uh, it's 1130. Yeah. 1130, 1130 ish. Nice. Yeah. Um, so we touched on influences. Were you in bands growing up? Like, or were you always just kind of doing your own, like, sort of solo stuff? Yeah, I was never in bands. I, um, when I first started playing music and writing songs, I dreamed about being able to play them on stage in front of a, 
huge audience and uh-huh. uh, I would dream about what that would be like, but I never had I never had the courage to do it. You know, I had terrible stage fright. So mm. um, to give you an example of that, you know, my mom is my hero. She raised me, she raised the four, I have three other siblings and she raised us and it's like, I wouldn't even play for her. It's really? Like only in my room, completely alone. Nobody was allowed to hear. And um, like real stage five, like uh, uh, throwing up, blurry vision, shaking. Wow. Same for know. singing? What's that? Like same for singing? If you were like, if somebody said, will you sing us something? It would be the same or was it? That, that's what I mean. Just, yeah. Playing oh, okay. and sing, playing or okay. singing, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't want to do it. So yeah. Um, so for that, for that reason, I wasn't in bands because I didn't want to have to sing in front of anybody or, yeah. uh, so it was just truly solo for a long time, a mm-hmm. long time. And then, uh, eventually, you know, to, to kind of go back, uh, I didn't go to college. Uh, I went to one semester of college and then came back home mm-hmm. to Lakeland and, uh, Shortly after, my brother and I opened up a restaurant here or a coffee house here in my hometown. Yeah, and it's like it's still open. He still owns it, but I did that. So I was nineteen, and he was twenty-two when we started working on it. Wow! And then by the time we opened, I was twenty-one, uh, and then I was at the shop for three and a half years or so, and then I left to do music because yeah. it was at that point I kind of did the. I was looking for any excuse not to do music. You know, I just wanted to go home at the end of a, a shift yeah. and play. I was never going to play at the restaurant, you know. Yeah. But how I kind of stayed connected to music was I was responsible for bringing artists in. We would do mm. music on Friday and Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. And I would run sound and I would I would I would s- seek out those people and run sound for them, which is hilarious because I had no idea what to do. Like, I had never run sound before. I was like, I'm going to run the sound for you guys. No problem. I'll do it. Don't worry. Yeah. Who knows if it's sounding good. But, um, and that's kind of how I stayed connected to music. But then at, at some point, this would have been in 2008, mm-hmm. I read this quote by Mark Twain. And it, it goes something like 20 years from now, you're not going to regret the things you did. You're going to regret the things that you didn't do. Right. And and there was something about that. It's very simple and I I love simple wisdom, you know. But oh, he's was, the king of that. I read it at the exact right time in my life. I just yeah. did. It just hit me. I was like, "Holy shit." You know what I mean? Like that was Yeah. It, it, it like knocked me on the ground. And literally within a couple weeks, I uh told my brother that I was leaving. We, wow. We walked around downtown cuz the shop is in downtown and I told him that I had to go try this music thing and if i didn't i would i would regret it for the rest of my life so um wow. that's when i really started playing shows yeah so i went i uh there was a transitional period from leaving black and brew to to getting to a point where i could really focus on music so like in 2010 mm-hmm. i started writing songs nonstop. i had been writing but i actually started treating it like a job like eight hours a day writing mm-hmm. songs, trying things out. And then I would eventually play my first show, official public show at the restaurant that my brother and I opened uh, in 2011. So That's awesome. Your first yeah. show was at your restaurant. That's yeah. perfect. So you do your first show 
back at your coffee shop. Yeah. How long between when you left the coffee shop and coming back to play your first show? It was about two years. About two years? Yeah, it was about two years. Yeah, I like, because, you know, I went from, I was basically working 70 hours a week to 80 hours a week. My brother and I, we were there open to close every single day. Mm -hmm. And I, um, a friend of mine was a a district manager at Starbucks. So it was an easy transition for me. So I went from working 70 hours a week to managing a store here in town, Mm -hmm. uh, then working 40 hours a week. So that got me some time. So I spent that extra time that I had, I was able to now start start doing music a little bit. Uh, and then I took a, a door-to-door alarm sales job in Philadelphia for, for five months. It was okay. basically a summer thing, but it ended up being longer than summer. And the idea was, is you would go to this town, sell alarm systems and make enough money to live off of for the next year. Uh-huh. That was the plan anyway. And that's what I did. So uh went to Philadelphia, had never been to Philadelphia before and uh, knocked on doors, sold alarm systems. And then when I got back from that job is since I had money to pay bills for the next year, I was able to start just writing a shit ton of songs. And that's just what I did. writing. So when you, um, you said you were treating it like a job, like eight hours a day. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm always curious at this because um, writing was always like sort of my weakest point and i'm always just fascinated by people's process of like um are you working towards like an okay today's monday i'm starting writing a new song i'm gonna work on this song for eight hours or is it sort of like sort of work on this bit go to a different song work on this or like is it just or is it different every day which i would assume it's, probably is it, it is different every day um Treating it like a job is interesting because there's this, you know, I don't write the type of song, uh, like for example, there are people in Nashville that that do the 10 to, 10 to 3 thing where they'll write a song in the morning, break for lunch, write another song in the afternoon, or maybe they write more than that or whatever. And I think that's great. And it takes a very talented and a very, very specific uh, brain, I think, and willingness to do that. But for me... I'm looking, I'm always, when I say I treat it like a job is I'm just making myself available. And you can't write a song unless you pick up the pencil, unless you've got your guitar in your hand. So it's like waiting for inspiration to hit you is also not a thing for me because, um, I don't know, like you, you can't write the song unless you're sitting down to write the song, you know what I mean? Yeah. Regardless of whether you feel inspired or not. So, No, that's uh, a great point. I think that's a really salient point is like and i mean this is kind of an extremist standpoint but inspiration is bullshit if you're gonna Mm -hmm. just wait around to feel inspired to you know go to the gym or go you know start that online class that you really wanted to start or you're just waiting to feel inspired you're never gonna fucking do it or you're gonna pick it up and put it down because you haven't put in the work and the discipline to foster that like habit or whatever it is you're trying to do if you're always just waiting on that lightning rod of inspiration it's going to be as fleeting as that moment is no no i think you're i think you're exactly right and um you know i'm always in search you know when i sit down every day i'm always in search of uh connection so it could be connecting to a a lyric Mm -hmm. even if it's just one line 
or it can be connected to a melody or it could be a chord progression that is that sounds new to me mm-hmm. or anything like that uh and whether or not people will enjoy it the same way that I, that I do is besides the point it doesn't matter like I don't write songs I don't sit down and say oh man I, I really need to write a song that's going to be good on the radio or that's going right. to that a lot of people want to listen to or people that are going to put in their fucking TikTok videos or whatever. Oh I just don't give a shit. Um, because what I'm writing, what I'm writing for is to connect. I want to connect with people who also want to connect with music. And that is, that is it. Like uh, all those people we talked about earlier, the people that, that we grew up on and people like John Mayer, it's like, there is, um, there's a soul there. And there's so much humanity in that music that you can't help but connect to it. You can't help but feel something when you listen to it. And Mm -hmm. that's what I'm sitting down. So like to answer your question, sometimes I'll sit down and 15, I'll get 15 minutes, maybe, maybe an hour. And I'm like, man, this feels really good. And then I just hit a wall and I'm like, I have no, I have no idea what to do now. So I'll get up and um, go for a run or, wash the dishes or take the dogs for a walk or whatever and then come back and see if it's if i could figure out what it's trying to be you know yeah um and i kind of approach it like that also also if there's a deadline like if i'm if i know i'm going to be making a record and i need to write like more songs then yeah then the approach changes a little bit sure yeah as as naturally as it would but i think it's also this reminds me of a, a book um think is by steven pressfield called the war of art have you read this i haven't um um write it down yeah he wrote um the legend of bagger vance as well which was like a big movie in i think the 90s with Mm -hmm. will smith and what's the goodwill hunting dude matt damon anyways um he wrote this book called The, the war of art and it's about creativity and sort of um what he he calls resistance, which is like procrastination or just, just resistance, uh, cosmically, internally, whatever sort of is. But his, his approach is very much like you're saying is like, he shows up every day. He's a writer. So every day at the same time sits down to be a professional and to put in the work. And he's, um, the way he puts it is like, you can't, the muse will never visit you if you're not, you know, doing the work already. And he, mm. he sort of views the muse as like a real entity. So he sits down and has his little uh, prayer to the muse from Homer's Odyssey, I think it is, that he recites every day mm. and then gets to work. And it's very much the same approach that you're saying. It's just like you, you show up and you work and it may not, like you said, you may not feel inspired at the moment, but you you need to be there and you need to be ready in case that thing strikes. And it's, yeah. um, I think, I think, uh, you would probably second this, that a lot of people in our industry don't approach work that way. Sort mm. of just like, let's fuck off and get stoned. And then maybe, Oh shit, we need to write something or, you know, it's just kind of a little bit more relaxed way of going about it, at least for a fair number. I wouldn't want to lump a bunch of people in, but there's, that sort of like stringent disciplined work ethic really isn't that uh, prevalent. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. what we do, you know? 
Right. No, you're right. I mean, which like some of the, like some of our heroes, I mean, that is the way they did. They, they like, uh, they partied hard, but I guarantee you they worked their asses off too. It wasn't, you know, they, they took what they did very seriously. And, um, and that's why they were so good at it. You yeah. know, we also have all these distractions now. It's like our phones and, uh, computers and technology, all this stuff and TV and Netflix and whatever. Mm. They didn't have that stuff. So they just, that's true. You know, they were filling their time with experiences that they were creating as opposed to absorbing content from, from other people. So, yeah. um, so they had a lot more time. I feel like they had fewer distractions. They had a lot more time, but yeah, but you're right. Yeah. It's like, um, I come from, you know, I had my first job when I was 14 and I've had a job ever since, you know, I've, yeah. I've just worked and there's been that structure in my life. Um, if you, if you need to pay for something, you've got to work to earn the money to pay for that thing. That's very simple, you know, mm-hmm. which, which brings up an interesting point is like, you know, when you fall in love with music, it, it's a very pure relationship. And then when you decide to do it for a career, Mm-hmm. it it changes the game a little bit. And you got to be very careful not to allow the commerce side of it to affect yeah. the, you know, how you create your art and, yeah. and why you create your art, more importantly. That's a really important point of like, when you make that switch from um, hobbyist to professional, your relationship changes. There's no way that it doesn't. Right. Because now, now this thing that was your release and the thing that made you happiest at the end of the day, getting home from your job at Starbucks, because I had that job at Starbucks. Did you? Uh, Oh, yeah. I've worked at so many coffee shops, dude. Um, Uh, Oh, I I didn't do that. I knew that. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that thing that was your release and your like time away and like time for you is now, hey, that's you guess what, motherfucker? You gotta pay some bills with this now. Yep. And it it can't just be all about sort of just your relationship with it changes. Um and like you said, if you're not careful, that can influence the way you make that art and oftentimes in a uh negative way or a way that's gonna sort of dilute maybe who you are uh as an artist but mm. it's um it is interesting because i've i mean i've had this a lot because you know just being an engineer and then being loosely associated with jakir for a while like people will you know they'll send me a dm because they can't get to him you know <laughs> or they've sent him 10 and he hasn't resp- or whatever it is but yeah. I'll get like a DM from people and be like, look, I really want to pursue music or I'm like doing this. And I'm, it's like, and it's, it's always the, it's the one thing that makes me happy at the end of, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm like, look, I get that. You got to be really sure that this is what you want because it will, it can change your relationship with it. And yeah. And a lot of times people, it's the grass is always greener thing of like maybe somebody that's not meant to be in music. And I don't want to be making that choice for them either, but I'm just saying that somebody that's like, maybe not, it's not their path, but that's the thing that makes them happy on the side. And they're like, Oh, that's what I should be doing. I'm like, you have to be careful with those things a little bit because, uh, 
it can kind of honey dick you into a, a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> right. No, yeah, you're right. Um, well, and I think that there's a, uh, there is a, you know, if you really want it, you'll have it, you know? Right. Um, and I think that goes for most things in life. And, um, you know, I've been doing this now for, uh, professionally for 12 years. Yeah. And if somebody asked me, do you wish you were further along? The, the honest answer would be, yes, I do. You sure. know? Um, and if somebody said, did you ever, did you ever think about quitting? The, the answer is yes. You know, I came really close to <laughs> yeah, last week. Quitting. Actually, no. <laughs> the closest I've ever been to quitting uh, uh, was right, right before Jakir and I made the record. Really? You know? Yeah. And I was just like, it was during COVID. So I think a lot of people were going through some shit. It was like, it's just not the time to be quitting either. It's like, no. the, there's a, there's a thing, you know, it's like, if you're going to make a, a life altering decision, make it when you're happy. Not, don't make it when you're, when you're upset. That's a really good point. Yeah. You know, so like, so anyway, I didn't, I didn't quit. Um, I think it's the guy, the guy that started GoDaddy. Uh, um, he's got a, which I hate that I'm fucking quoting this guy, but Hey, <laughs> I mean, uh, he, he said, uh, when you're ready to quit, you're closer than you think. That's, that's a lot more true than you think. And I've met that guy. He is a, he is a nut. Is he? Okay. Oh, I don't yeah. know anything about him. I just like go daddy. He's like, a, I don't know. Maybe yeah, he's he, really important, but. Uh, I don't think anymore. <laughs> but he, <laughs> oh, okay. he's a wild yeah. man. Uh, anyways, no, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I've, I mean, I've, I've almost quit so many times it's that's yeah. the thing and that's um you you mentioned something is like if you want it bad enough it'll uh you'll make it happen and i i'd like to like sort of piggyback off that and it was like if you want it bad enough you'll suffer for it mm-hmm. because there is a lot of um and not like i mean this is like first world suffering but you know what i mean it's like you will abstain from doing things or taking trips or you'll you will be uncomfortable to make this work and that's that's something that i've had to do and luckily my wife is a fucking badass ride or die and is like all in on it too but there's you know we miss out on you know family trips or like some of our friends are you know on their third kid and we're still you know our, we have a dog that runs our life, but you know, it's, yeah. you, you miss yeah. out on, on certain things in pursuit of something that's, um, ultimately you hope pays off and is fulfilling, but is, is it's how, how far are you willing to go? And like you said, a lot of times when you are most ready to quit is when you're, you're a lot closer than you think. Yeah. It's so true, man. You said it perfectly. Like, um, you are you are going to be uncomfortable for a very long time. Most people are. Some people's trajectory to success is like the Oasis trajectory, where they're you got two guys and are like, oh, let's start a band, and then yeah. and then like two years later they're playing to like a hundred thousand people. Yes, you know that doesn't happen. No. It happens for some people, but it just doesn't happen. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for most of us, it's going to be a long road. And it's going to be tough. Yeah. And um, if you love it enough, if you want it enough. And if you're willing to uh, withstand the discomfort, yeah, um, you know, while putting well. in the work, still you still got to be putting in the work, yeah. And that's that's the uh, that's the key. That's what separates, you know, professionals from uh, you know the hobbyists. Um, yeah. So so tell me a little bit after 
first off, how did your first show go? We got a little sidetracked, but I like it. Bro, how, I was terrified. <laughs> I Dude, can imagine. Awful. Well, I mean, it wasn't awful. I'm sure it was fine. Um, it was me and a, and a buddy of mine, jo- Josh, who you met. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, we still play together now. And we had worked on, I didn't have very many songs that I thought were good enough to play for people. Mm-hmm. But I had a, I had like several. So like not enough for uh, any sort of like impactful show for, for like the regular show length. Like we, I was like, how are we going to play for an hour? We don't have like seven songs, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So we did some covers and like it's a little bit of jam in the, in there that we tried to like make, make the songs longer than they were and stuff. Oh yeah. But um, the thing is, is like I'm from Lakeland and having the, we have a lot of friends and family here. The place was packed. It was, it's not a big place. It probably fits 75 people, mm-hmm. but it was wall to wall, front to back, yeah. you know, and standing room only. It was, I was terrified. I don't, I don't, I can still, like I, back then in those days when I was playing shows, the celebration happened after the show was over. I was like, yes, it's fucking over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But now, like, when I'm on stage, I'm just enjoying the moment and being like, we did our, we did uh, for the release of this uh, album that just came out, we did a big show at the Polk Theater here in our hometown. Mm-hmm. And the crowd was just electric. And, and, and the whole, we, we played 18 original songs straight, no covers, no breaks, no encore. Yeah. And, you know, not that that's like some feat, you know, but it was just a, it was just a moment, you know, and everybody was yeah. in it. And you're able to and be present. We, uh, we went to Molly's, which is this Irish pub in downtown, right? You know, across the street afterwards, and it was that was the night, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of like bittersweet to be walking off stage. So it's very, you know, twelve yeah. years. Twelve years though. <laughs> it takes yeah, a long time. Well, I, I love it. I mean, that's goes back to how how uncomfortable are you willing to be that yeah. first show was probably really fucking uncomfortable and now you're you're so comfortable that you're able to enjoy and be present and absorb the moment which is mm-hmm. which is what you think you can do when you're like oh yeah i can play this song out you know in my bedroom and then you're like we're gonna book a show we play a show and you're like shitting bricks and you yeah. fuck this thing up and it's like ah but now having put in the work and 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 lived the life that you've lived that you're able to enjoy it yep. and so uh that's just funny because i feel like I, I i had so many of the same things of like terrible stage fright i was never like a singer but i was in bands but i was mm-hmm. horribly scared to play in front of anybody in the same way where it's just like i gotta fix this so like i bought an acoustic guitar and uh would just go to an open mic every monday night and play by myself not singing anything and just play the songs that i had either written or learned and probably just bored everybody to fucking death in the crowd (laughs) but sort of like worked through it enough to where i felt comfortable just like being able to fuck around and uh the same thing of like how we booked a two-hour show and we have five songs what are we gonna do what are we gonna do yeah, yeah. we're just gonna jam like sweet child of mine for like 10 <laughs> minutes <laughs> oh man but 
you know, those are always those are always the gigs that you look back and like tell fond memories, like stories of of like where sort of like the shit ones, you know? Yeah, for sure. And when they're character building too, like you have to. They can't all be great, man. Even now, no. it's like there's going to be a time where you don't feel yourself, or you have to play a show and you don't like, and you physically don't feel well, or maybe your voice isn't where it needs to be, or maybe you got an arg- in an argument with somebody you love right before you're going on. You know what I mean? Like yeah. any of these things, you're still a human being and you still have feelings yeah. and it's not, you're not this machine that just plays to happens to play music. You're still a human being. So just like anybody can wake up and not feel great. Mm-hmm. That happens to musicians too. And the, the, the yeah. difference is you have to be able to get on stage and, um, in that room with those people because that's why they're there they're there to be with you and mm-hmm. and they're rooting for you that's the thing is i it took me a long time to learn that is um i was always so terrified of messing up mm. whatever the messing up means mm-hmm. uh, playing the wrong chord or forgetting the lyrics which i've done both many times over the years and then you realize it's like um everybody in the room are there and they don't want you to mess up right. they don't they're not waiting for you to mess up to go aha you know, yeah, you suck. They're like, <laughs> if you can mess up and do it gracefully and just keep going, people are like, wow, that's so that's that's fucking pro. Yeah, that's the actual pro. The pro is not the person that doesn't mess up. The pro is the person that can mess up and um and not make it known. You know, yeah, or or even make it known and lean into it and get get the audience to like chuckle along and then yeah. right back yeah. right back into it. Like uh, Foy Vance's a master of that right? i've seen him like in the middle of a song you know somebody will like sneeze in the crowd and he'll he or you know and normally it might throw somebody off or like he will acknowledge get a laugh and then right back into whatever the hell he was doing or those Beautiful. um those yeah. moments of like being able to turn turn something that would have thrown you for a loop early on in your career into like a positive and also like kind of a standout for the people that are at the show because you know you you don't want to go and like listen to a record at a live performance like you're there for the experience of what's going to happen that night sort of thing yeah and it's um i don't know it just reminded me of earlier when we were talking about the good stories that you tell later that are like sort of a something that went wrong versus like a show that went great that you don't even like think about. You don't even remember again of like, um, I forget, I think it's, I forget the author that said this, but it's like, there's two types of fun. There's like the fun. That's like a roller coaster. You're on a roller coaster and it's great. And then as soon as you're off of it, you don't think about the roller coaster ever again. But then there's the other kind of fun where it sucks in the middle of it like while you're going through it is like, ah, oh, this is fucking terrible. Or it's like, I can't believe how embarrassing this is. And then later it's the story that you tell with all your friends and you're mm. all laughing about, you know, there's these two types of, two types of fun, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I feel like a lot of it for me in music has been all that second kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. No, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of that. Yeah, people, yeah, man, it's just, I mean, yeah. Um, but it makes for good, it makes for an interesting life and it makes for, for incredible life experiences, like just like you're saying. Yeah. Um, and 
hopefully hopefully through all that you're you're able to reach down into that sense memory bank and pull out some songs or yeah so how long between like you start playing shows do you, is it between there to like making your first record or recordings so I played that first show in 2011 and then 2012 released my first EP. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was five songs and I did a Kickstarter to fund it. Um, nice. And uh, there's a studio here in my hometown. So I don't know if you, there, there, there's a band called Copeland. Oh yeah. And uh, they're, a, they're like an indie rock band mm-hmm. that were, they were pretty big in the, and they still are, they still are a, uh, uh, successful band still putting out new music mm-hmm. um aaron marsh is the songwriter and lead singer and he's he opened this studio here in our hometown oh, he nice. doesn't own it anymore but he uh he opened it and that so i recorded there not with him with his but i recorded with his partner mm-hmm. and um uh that was 2012 and then i did uh, i self-recorded an acoustic version of that ep in 2013 mm-hmm. and put that out and then wrote some more songs and did another EP with a guy named David Bianco, who has now passed away. But uh, David Bianco, um, incredible guy, had had this studio in North Hollywood, and he like he mixed. He no, he was the engineer for the Tom Petty Wildflowers album, and he's done. He's mm. worked with like Bonnie Ray and. Um, just a bunch of different people. Yeah. Uh, maybe not Bonnie Ray. I'm thinking of somebody else. But either way, so that was, I did that EP. And then in 2017, released another acoustic album of those songs. And then 2019, released my first full-length record. Like full-length? Yeah. What was it like getting into the studio for the first time? Was that in, as intimidating as like playing live? Uh, I mean, it was, I mean, it was intimidating, not as intimidating. It was uh, intimidating, but I was a little bit more comfortable with it because I had been like when I was 18 years old, I got this, um, maybe you've heard of it. It was a, uh, a DAW, a D-A-W technically, but it's called Magic's Music Studio. Have you heard of this one? No. M-A-G-I-X. And um, I I use that to make demos. And so I had been recording for, you know years at that point yeah but i'd never been i'd never really done it in front of other people yeah so there is still some of that stage fright would come back in when it when it would be time to do a vocal take you know Mm -hmm. or anything but um but made it through it and there's it was a great group of people that worked on it and um yeah it's it's amazing it's amazing because like it was also released in the digital age Mm-hmm. So like when you're an artist and you're starting out and you're putting out music, if you sell out of those records, for example, if we're, if we're selling vinyl, you sell all those records and it's 1960, whatever. Once they're gone, they're gone unless you print more. There's no other way to get it. Mm-hmm. But now if you put out a record and you're just starting out, this is for people, if you're just starting out, if you put out a record, it doesn't have to stay out forever. You could take it down if you want to. And that's what I did. I took down all my early stuff. Oh, and some people okay. are like, oh, where are those songs? I missed that. I love that one song on your first EP. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm I love that you love it. Um, if you have the CD, then you got it. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's like, uh 
So it's just an interest. It's interesting how things have changed now because like if you there's this like expectation that if you put something out, it sticks around forever. Right. But I kind of like that. It doesn't have that, to be that way. I like that it doesn't have to be that way. And that, yeah. Like you kind of have to go and enjoy it now, otherwise it's gone. Right. Uh, which now is the opposite where it's like, oh, well, that's going to be there tomorrow. So I can, I can get my way back to it then. Uh, exactly. And then you don't because you have cosmic fucking ADD with all the shit yeah. that's coming at you <laughs> all the time. Um, so when, so you made your first full length in 2019. When do you meet or come into contact with Jakir? Jakir King, for those who are listening. Yeah, so during the COVID hit, you know, I had just, I put the album out in 2019, toured all of 2019, was going to do the same thing in 2020, played Mm -hmm. my last show in Nashville at the basement in February of 2020, and then of course in March is when everything changed. Yeah. So that was sort of the first time in my life that I didn't have a plan, that I didn't know what I was going to do. Because at the time, I was playing house concerts, I was opening up for people, I was traveling, I was anywhere I could go, I was playing those shows. Yeah. Um, And I couldn't do that anymore. So uh, I started writing songs again. And once I had, you know, several that I thought were, that I thought were, you know, pretty good, I, every time I write a song, I make a demo of it just so I don't forget it. And I sent... I sent a few to Jakir via Instagram DM, man. Slid so into the DMs. for whatever reason, the thing is, is like, we talk about timing. Like when I heard that Mark Twain quote at the exact right time. Yeah. You know, somebody like Jakir is very busy and he has a lot of people reaching out to him. Like you said, I think I just wrote him at the right time, mm. you know, and uh, he, for whatever reason, decided to open the message and he, for whatever reason, decided to take his time and listen, to, actually listen to the songs and um, just like two weeks later, I, I w- I've been used to no's, man. I've been getting no's my entire life, M- musical career. Most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to get a shit ton of no's. Yeah. And uh, and so I was just like, well, if he doesn't write back, it doesn't matter to me. It's just yeah. like, whatever. And so uh, two weeks later, though, I was just, I just opened up Instagram and I had a message from him. And I was like, holy shit, he wrote back. And uh, he was like, hey, man, I really love these songs. And Let's get on the phone. And so that kind of started our relationship. Wow. So, and you know this about Jakir, but for, for those who are listening who don't, um, the way that he works is, you know, one of the first things that he told me was like, I can't make your best record unless I feel like I know you on a personal level. So mm-hmm. I would like to get on the phone, you know, once every couple of weeks, once a month, whatever it may be, and just talk about life, talk about music talk about, you know, what your interests are and things like that. So we probably had eight or 10 hour long phone conversations before I even met him in person. Wow. Which was day one of making the record in Nashville. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Wow. It's just the guy, it's the kind of producer that he, and, the, and, and now he's like, now he's like a, a mentor and a brother, you know? So. Oh yeah. I mean, he started out, obviously I started out as like, as an intern for him. Um, but now he's just family, you know? Yeah. He's like, he's a mentor still. Um, but more than that, he's just like a member of the family and he's exactly, like a, he's a good friend that I, you know, we get on the phone at least once a month. 
uh, and, you know, text when we can, but it's, um, yeah, it's just the kind of guy he is of, uh, of just extreme character. Yeah. Yes. Um, so (laughs) the first time you meet Jakir is day one of making the new record, Milky Stars, right? So, uh, what's, what is day one like? Well, actually, uh, uh, I lied. Technically, it was the day before. So, Jakir being the incredible incredible producer that he is, he's like, hey, I don't want you to us to meet for the first time, and you have to meet the guys for the first time in the band, you know? It's a lot. Uh, he was like, why don't you come by the studio on Sunday, mm-hmm. just drop off your gear, we'll have a conversation, and then we'll start on Monday. So, that's what we did. Uh, met him and Dawson, and... Uh, uh, unloaded our guitars and stuff. It was me, Josh, and I. We're, Josh was with me. Yeah, and um, and then, yeah, day one, man, it was crazy. Uh, at this point, I've I've spent a lot of time in studios, and and I've worked with several different people, and been in various recording situations. So, mm-hmm. um, I had a little bit of nerves, but for the most part. You know, this is what I do now. You know what I mean? This is just, yeah. I'm a, I am a professional and this is what I do. Um, but nerves more like just excited because I get to meet all the, all the guys that were playing on it, you know, because I've researched them and yeah. um, uh, and get to work with Jakir and also get to learn from him to see how he works and things like that. So mm-hmm. he, during that, basically the eight months leading up to from, it took eight months from the time that I wrote him on Instagram to the time that we started the record. It was about eight months. Okay. And during that time, we also picked the 10 songs that we would record. At the time, uh, the record is now 12 songs, but we were going to record 10 songs. So mm-hmm. uh, he helped me pick those. We weeded them. You know, there was about 20, 25 demos or something like that that we kind of whittled down to 10 that we thought were, that made a, made a good record. So, mm-hmm. um, and the way that he works is he kind of feels the vibe of the room and picks the song based on what he thinks the energy is. Mm-hmm. So our goal was to record two songs a day, the foundation for two songs a day. And he picked the, the song every time he was like, he would just go around talk to everybody. We'd be having coffee or whatever in the kitchen and and he would say something like, I think we should start with this song. I'm like, cool, let's do it. You know? Yeah. So, and it was just easy, man. He's got, you know, he's a, um, Jakir says that his instrument is the studio, and that is true. I do mm-hmm. believe that. But I think his real instrument is people. I think he knows how to, um, he's just a master manager of creative energy. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like the conductor of an orchestra. Yeah, you know, he just knows how to get the best out of you. He can. He's <laughs> he feels with all all of his being. He feels. He feels if something's not right, and he may not be able to say, "Oh," and, and talk in, in in technical music terms or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he knows when something doesn't feel right, and he'll keep working on something until it does hit him in the right way. So. Yeah, no, um, I've I've always thought that was his like superpower is his um, emotional intelligence uh, yeah. and being able to key into almost immediately key into the vibe emotion 
of a lyric, a song, what you're trying to convey and get in like sort of the same uh, headspace as, as the artist and, and be a conduit for you to make sure that that gets executed in the studio. Right. Cause it's like right. oftentimes um, I think, I think Jakir is the one I'm stealing this from. It's, it's like, we're sort of the lens that we focus your vision through a little bit um, as far as like the producer and then sort of the engineering back into that sort of goes into it as well as like you mm-hmm. have this, this idea and, and maybe not you specifically, but just artists in general, sometimes you don't have the um, awareness or perspective on how to focus it into a recording. And that's, right. that's his like his, superpower is to just being able to focus and make that translation from your you know brain to the speakers um, yeah the best it can be and even sometimes better than you thought it could be you know for sure 100 percent um the you know for me it was like to know an album is is um you did what you were supposed to do as an artist that that the album is successful in terms of artistically successful is mm-hmm. that for me, how I gauge that is when I'm listening back to it, when it's done is like, does it feel like I'm hearing these songs for the first time? And it, and, and with Jakir, it did. It's just like, uh, because at that point you've, a lot of these songs you've been, you've, you've had for a year or a year and a half or however long it may Even be. Longer, yeah. And you're so familiar with them. And so to get to a point where you're, where you're getting to know them again is really sweet. And yeah. I, I, think that's, I think that's why even having a producer is important is to have that perspective of somebody yeah. who hasn't lived with the songs, somebody who, did, who didn't write them, somebody who's, you know, who's a listener and a music lover and they can say, man, I think it should be, it could be this, you know, mm-hmm. I think this is the right way to present it. And yeah. it's really important. Uh, absolutely and it's it's vital i think um there's very few artists that i can think of that can exist in a vacuum or create in a vacuum um with no producer or and even then it seems like they kind of eventually hit a creative wall you know it's like you gotta Mm -hmm. have you gotta have some outside something whether it's an outside mixer or whatever but I can think of a handful of artists and I don't want to like put anybody on blast, but like we're in an era of do it alls, you know, Uh, like I write everything. I record everything. I mix everything. I master everything. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's endlessly impressive. Yes. That's, that's really awesome. And like, I could never do that. So fucking high fives, dude. But how much better could it be? Right. If we, if we had, some other people stirring the soup a little bit, you know? Yeah. But anyways. Uh, no, I'm with you on that. I mean, when I was younger, when I made those first EPs and stuff, like I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to make all the decisions. I knew best. It were my songs. I, you know, it was like I had this big, and not that I don't have an ego now, but I had this huge ego and I was just like, I wanted to be the guy. You know, I was, I was on my own. I was a solo artist. Yeah. And now, because I didn't have that, being in a band experience, mm-hmm. I kind of get it now through making music with in the studio with people like Jakir and the guys that he brings in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for a short period of time, we get to be a band. Yeah. And um, 
I still have input and Jakir has input, but it's like, um, but I would much rather let the person that's so much better at their instrument than I could ever be mm-hmm. play it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's if like, I have an idea, like, oh, what if you did, what if you went here instead of there? And yeah. if it works, great. And if not, no big deal. But totally. um, it's just so much more fun to, because then when the record is done, you have this, you have this, there's like been so much humanity injected into it. And it's kind of like, um, like, it, like if you're going to go to a party, you want other people to be there. And yeah. uh, you're not, you don't want to walk in and just be alone and, and, and be, like you said, like be the D, like playing the music and then also you're dancing, yeah. but you're not dancing with anybody. It, yeah. You know what I mean? There's like, totally. Music is about connection. So like having the band, having those guys, having Jakir and Dawson and having you yeah. on it, it's just like all of that heart is in there in some way. Yes. And, uh, and that's what makes, that's what makes it special. Yeah. Music is meant to be shared. That's why we create it. And it and it's it benefits from being shared um, during the creative process too. Like we all benefit mm-hmm. from it. I mean, like like you said, like I'm gonna let you know. You hire Aaron Sterling, Sterling to play drums. Like I'm just gonna let Aaron Sterling play drums. Right. You know, like <laughs> if I if I have an idea, I might say something, but then I'll let him just you know make the yeah. choice. <laughs> like that's yes. why we. Yeah, it's like you hire the right people to do what they do not to do what you sort of uh it's not like play my part it's like here's the song you get to sort of interpret and then if you go if you freelance too much jakir will rein you in but um yeah how i'm interested how how was making your you know maybe last record um I guess the two, 2019 record, um, which I'm sorry, the name escapes me at the moment. Um, but versus the new one, like how would you, how was the experience different between the two of those? It was very different. So, uh, so Evergreen Ever Rain was 2019, and uh, a guy named Ryan Freeland produced it, who is an incredible, uh, also an incredible engineer and and mixer. He mixed the record and, um. And we did it, we kind of got lucky. So uh, he same thing. He did the same thing that Jakir did and hired the band. Um, Josh was living in Tacoma, Washington at the time. Mm-hmm. And so he flew in too, which is great. I was happy to have him. Um, and I drove from Lakeland, Florida to Los Angeles, right? Ooh. And uh, which was by myself, which was amazing. And um, we did that album in it live in four days. So oh. the vocals that you hear are the live takes. There were no vocal o- overdubs. Mm-hmm. Um, the only overdubs we did were like guitar stuff or some keys. And then the background vocals were all overdubbed. Um, so, but when you listen to that record, you can tell, you can tell that that's the way that it was done. And we were, we did it. It was 4th of July week. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know the, the details, but I want to say, we were supposed to be in Studio B at United. Oh, okay. United, right there on Sunset Boulevard. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but then when I showed up, we had Studio A, which is like the studio that you fucking record orchestras Ooh. in. You know what I mean? Like I love that room. Massive room. It's where Jack, uh, or I'm sorry, where... Um, yeah, Jack Joseph Week, right? Yeah, was it J- yeah, JJP that had his mixing room and it was all like fucking 
yeah. uh, talk about vibed John out Ma- with his yeah John Mayer. That's where they did I think his second record. Or yes, maybe maybe his first. I know. Yeah, uh, I I did some recording there, and I was talking to the assistant who was there during like sort of the JJP era, and I guess um, they said that John had this is just like random esoteric facts, but whatever. Uh, John had daughters for his first record and they're like no 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 you need to save that one and he's like yeah i'm gonna save it and put it on the next record just and that was like his sort of ace in the hole of like what? genius level like waiting anyways yeah so so you got you're supposed to be in b which is a cool room but then you get a yeah we show up there's like huge i think it's maybe maybe because it was a holiday week they just didn't have a lot and they were just like i oh, just take the and ryan is a is a he frequents united ryan mm-hmm. freeland like he's always there he, he brings all his projects there and stuff yeah and so maybe or maybe he just got favor they're like hey nobody's in studio a you just use it you know kind yeah. of thing um so we did and it was unbelievable man it was just so cool and uh and also a great group of musicians steven nister on drums who's played with like uh the avit brothers and a bunch of other people and then lee pardini on keys who's in dawes the band dawes oh yeah um uh, Paul Bryan on bass, who uh, he is a great bass player and producer. He produced Amy Mann's Grammy winning, the album that she just released a few years ago that won a Grammy. Damn. He produced that and just a great group of guys. And they were all so good, man. And um, so, yeah, so it, it was very different because it was like, now that was intimidating. One, you know, you're in LA, which I've been to before, but it's just a, it's an intimidating place to be. It can be when you're from a small town. Yeah. Uh, and then you walk into United and you've got pictures of Frank Sinatra and, you know, um, Sam Cooke and all these people on the wall. And you're just like, yeah. what am I doing here? <laughs> do I, I will say the floor the, swept or something? Like, I will say the studio setups in LA, they do feel more intimidating of like, it's just is so professional. Yeah. You it's know, very like, professional. It's just we're here, we're going to punch our time card and, you know, uh, and that's that. It's 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 not always, I guess, maybe the most vibey and inviting. You got to work hard to get it to there, I guess is yeah. my point. Yeah, you can get it there, but um, that's that's awesome. That's such a great room and so much, so much history there. Um, that's incredible. Yes, yeah, so so we did it. We did all the cut. We all did all the main takes in four days, and then the next week, um, went to Ryan's personal studio where he actually did the mixing, mm-hmm. and we just kind of uh, went through the takes of each song and picked picked the ones that we liked, and then I did the vocal overdubs, and then mm-hmm. I went home. So technically, it was two weeks, but we made the 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 bulk of the record in in a week, in yeah. four days, and um, so that was that, and then. Working with Jakir, completely different. It's like a 130-year-old house he's converted into a studio. It's got, when you walk in, the first thing you see is a kitchen, Yeah, you know, which yeah. I love because you walk in, you put your bag down or whatever, you hang your coat over the chair, mm-hmm. you make a cup of coffee or tea or something, and you talk over the kitchen island and mm-hmm. you catch up. Yeah, it's like and a family. And then you go into your session, you know? Yeah. It's which, like coming home. You come home, you say hi to your family, everybody catches up. All right, let's go to work. You know. Exactly. Yeah, and you're in a, it's in a neighborhood you would never know it was there, and it's in uh, it's in Franklin, which is, um, I'm telling you, 
not that you don't know him, just for the for people listening, obviously, but in Franklin, and uh, which is beautiful to be in uh, in and of itself. So all, oh. all very inspiring and, and very yeah. homey. It's more like home to me. I mean, I'm not from Tennessee. I'm from Florida, but like having some land and things being spread out a little bit, and um, that's more my my speed. Me too. Yeah, that's. I mean, I I loved Franklin. I still like. I would I would move back to Franklin in a heartbeat if things yeah. like lined up that way but uh it's just w- one of the greatest little towns and uh yeah that, man. that little like that one street there's like three or four studios that you just don't know are there it's, oh really yeah it's, yeah, yeah and, and there's at, at least two on the exact same street i think there's one that's in the little townhouse and eh, whatever uh but yeah there's a lot more than you would think and just having you know honest brothers to walk to or, or is it honest brother honest yeah honest coffee. coffee honest coffee i don't know why i said brothers honest coffee and then uh you know oh be joyful in downtown oh be joyful five daughters if you want donuts yeah. and it's just the best um and it's great for making records it's just it's set up perfect um yep so with with that one you're more like when milky stars were doing more like full still doing full band takes um, and that's mostly, that's mostly what you're hearing on the record with mm-hmm. some limited overdubs, at least in, in my experience with the two songs I worked on with you guys, but it's still kind of in the same vein as, as the previous, I guess, at least, I mean, I guess the process is a little different. Correct me if I'm wrong. But. No, you're right. It is in, it is in the same vein. I think the the main difference is we just had m- the luxury of more time on Milky which, Stars. Yeah. Which is clutch and key because so many things uh they just need time to breathe you know yeah we did and 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 you know jakir's really good. like we would break every day for uh for lunch and you know we'd finish at five or six you know kind of thing mm-hmm. sometimes we'd have to run a little later if we we're really trying to finish something up but it, he, you know he invited me over to his house and sat by the pool and you know what i mean like we we yeah. did things together too after working together all day, which is really sweet. And, um, and there was time for that, which is, uh, and we'd have the weekends off, you know? Yeah. I was there for three weeks to, to do that initial 10 songs. I was there for three weeks. That's, I think it's, it's important. And I mean, I, I know it's kind of, that's a luxury, uh, in a way, but it's important to take time to like, uh, get to know each other outside of the work environment too. You know, whether it's, going to OB joyful for some beers hanging out or, or whatever, just like let's decompress and not talk about the three songs we just did today. Let's just talk right, about exactly. life and, and bullshit disconnect a little bit, but also like just it furthers the relationship, you know, like um, I, I don't even know how long I was there. Was I there for four days or five days? And it felt like you get to know each other. You get to know people so much quicker than you think you would in five days because it's such like yeah. a pr- pressure cooker environment of um uh, in the studio it's just like always things are just amplified like i still talk to people i made records with like f- seven years ago and it's just because we spent like three weeks together making a record and it's like you're just sort of always tied to that person in a way you know right um yeah, you experience this deeply personal 
thing together. And it's yeah. like, it doesn't matter if you're the artist or the guitar player or the producer or the engineer, it doesn't matter. You're all in this vulnerable uh, sort of situation where you're, you're if, if, if your heart's in the right place anyway, you know, yeah. it's like um, you're all experiencing this deeply personal thing together and are connecting to a thing. Yeah. It goes yeah. back to uh, looking for connection when writing songs or when looking for that connection when you're playing your guitar kind of thing, like the soul of it. Yeah. It's all, it all comes back to that. And it all comes back to like the, like community to me too. It's like music is meant to be shared mm-hmm. uh, and, and sort of build a community. Your fans are a community. Uh, and then the studio is a, is a little family and a little, you build like these little communities cause everybody's working towards the same goal and everybody's working at it from a different angle. But we all, like you said, if your heart's in the right place, you're all carrying like a tremendous amount of pressure and weight because it's like you, you're in a very, very vulnerable spot, like of just putting yourself out there and, and wanting to execute these songs, how they need to be. And it's, you, it can feel naked as an, as an artist. And then on the technical side, it's like, for me being in the chair, it's like, I want things to run so you don't have to think about it and not to get in the way of anything that you are doing or anybody else is doing. So there's always this, everybody working towards the same goal brings it together. Yeah, for sure. So after, after the record comes out, you do a little bit of, of touring and it seems like did you you took a lot of the studio band with you on tour am i wrong uh well um some mm, no it's a completely different it's a completely different group other than me and josh right but i i know everybody in the band that's what it was yeah you you're familiar with everybody (laughs) well logan like logan on drums like he was supposed originally supposed to be the the drummer on the milky star sessions but then he injured his hand and that's why aaron's on um, Aaron was kind enough to be a part of it. So, uh, but yeah, so, um, we played some shows together as a band, some, uh, some radio, uh, conference stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we did the show here in my hometown. And then in, uh, February, I'm going on the road playing, um, a mixture of house concerts and, ticketed events and yeah. um, uh, up to basically going up the East coast. So up to Maine and back. Okay. And then uh, also be doing a bunch of radio stuff on the way up there and back to stopping at radio stations and doing uh, interviews and uh, all that. Uh, and then we'll see. I mean, it's like we're, we're planning stuff every day. So it's going to be a busy year. This year was crazy busy. I was, I think I was in Nashville like nine times this year. Wow. Uh, and that was just Nashville. Like, yeah, you know, so, uh, I plan on being on and off the road pretty much all year. That's awesome. Year. Is it um, like a mixture of, of solo and full band or are you going to do full band? I think it will be. This first tour will be uh, solo and, and also duo like me and Josh. Josh is going to be with me. So that's great. We'll do, do two acoustics. Awesome. Um, but then, but yeah, I look forward to those times that I get to play with the band cause it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, so this, this next year is just, tour 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 any uh any eye towards like the next the next record or are you just like we're in tour and write mode 
or is it are you plotting there's an eye i mean there's always an eye you know i think like when you we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier but when you put out an album as the artist you've you've heard those songs for the last how many ever two years whatever sometimes longer Mm -hmm. and by the time it comes out you're so proud of it and you send it off into the world and people are experiencing it for the first time but you as the artist have lived with it for years so you're like i'm ready for something new mm-hmm. so there's always that but that's i think you kind of need that because it kind of that is the natural cycle of things and so while people are enjoying it i am writing and um and thinking about the next one yeah for sure definitely um well that's awesome i want to move into a couple of rapid fire questions and then okay. uh, and then we'll get you out of here um, all right dude sounds good so i always say this is rapid fire and then i get fucking distracted but anyways rapid fire questions uh dream car dream car okay uh a a vintage see things have changed if it could be uh also uh carbon efficient but a vintage um land rover defender Ooh, nice i love it that's uh yeah like like super rugged like a car that you you're not afraid to beat the shit out of Yes. but also looks awesome. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, if it could be also energy efficient, that'd be great. <laughs> Those aren't, but yeah. yeah. Uh, my my wife's boss, they're in the process of restoring a, a Defender right now. That's Dude, it's so, so sweet. That's, um, I love those. My, I, I'm like on a Land Cruiser kick, like 80s Land Cruisers is like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, see, again, rapid fire, distracted. Um <laughs> This is a new, uh, most underrated city that you visited, that you would say is an underrated city. That I have visited? Mm-hmm. Um, underrated. Ooh. Damn. I- I'm going to say, I'm going to say maybe Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm. It's more, I mean, I'm, this is, I'm trying to answer fast. So like, there's yeah. probably a better example out there, but Knoxville, Tennessee is a great town. But nobody, I don't ever hear people talking about it same i uh i would sec that's a good that's a good one because uh i lived in tennessee for seven years and never i took one trip and when i went i was like holy shit why don't people talk about this more this is a yeah. cool town and it's uh yeah it's really cool downtown and there's a lot going on there so yeah a there's a place called Sutri's high gravity in downtown that that you can get a bowl of ramen with a slice of american cheese on top but it's a bar it's a yeah. bar, but they make ramen for some reason. And okay. then it's connected to an, an arcade that's free. So it's like, where else? That's that's a win all around. Yeah. Um, best Christmas movie. I'm going to, oh shit. I'm going to get some heat for this. <laughs> Uh-oh. I, I'm, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say The Holiday. The Holiday. Which one's that? Is that the... <laughs> it's not real. I mean, it is a Christmas movie, but... Wait a second. It's Cameron Diaz, Cameron Diaz and Jude and Law Jack Black and, and Jack Black. <laughs> I just fucking love that movie. I mean, yeah, I could say, oh, not, you know, Christmas Vacation and all these other... Home Alone and blah, blah, blah. And those are all yeah. great. But I'm answering based on the one that now in my life, do I... Wa- if I'm going to watch a movie every year, what it's going to be, it's going to be The Holiday. That's a good one. I uh, yeah. I remember seeing that in... in- Plus, I'm just well. a freaking hopeless romantic, dude. It's a it's a, it's a rom com, man. It's like <laughs> it's a good one too. Um, the last record you listened to, front to back. 
Oh, great question. Uh, just uh, today, actually, I listened. This is going to sound like I'm lying, but I'm not. I swear to God. Okay. I'll pull it up on my phone, actually, and show you. Um, <laughs> was Astral Weeks Van Morrison. And there it is. Just to oh, prove it. Yeah, there you go. Astral Weeks, front to back today while I was doing stuff around the house. I mean, it's you can't beat Van Morrison. Um, what's your least favorite part of record making? My least favorite part of record making is the money part. And not like having to pay for stuff, but the fact that money is a topic of conversation. Mm. Uh, just not like, um, it's an important part in business. We talked about a little bit earlier, like mm -hmm. it's such an important part of being sustainable and getting co to continue to do what you do and making records. Right. Um, I would prefer not to talk about money with anybody because I just feel like money changes um, it just changes the temperature of the air you know what I mean it just changes the way that people feel totally and I don't like talking about money with anybody I could just agree. don't I couldn't I don't agree care more. how much you got in the bank it just doesn't matter to me so anyway yeah. that's probably my least favorite part is like the money part I couldn't agree more I mean especially like uh, on my side of it too you know trying to produce or mix a record or engineer and trying to just kind of come to terms with a band uh, for what I should be paid and then what people want to pay. And, and understandably, like, you know, people want to get the best bang for their buck too. But when you, like, I don't have management at this time, so I'm having to do those, you know, sort of harder have those conversations, conversations. Ha yeah. have those hard conversations but then also you like maintaining your friendship or relationship in a way that you're still going to be able to work together. Um, it, like you said, it changes the temperature of things sometimes. So um, yeah, yeah. That is, and it's a necessary part. It's just like, I wish, I wish I didn't have to wish we yeah. didn't have to do that. You know, same. Uh, yeah. Anyways, that's one thing also Chikir is amazing at. Um, the dude is just, he's such a, an amazing businessman that yeah no yeah 100 percent. i'm learning I'm all, a thing or two from him i'm for sure. always picking his brain or calling him and be like is this a good idea or should yeah. i do that like, <laughs> you know yeah um okay so that's the last rapid fire i got one more question this is my one more for safety question anybody that's been in the recording studio started this phrase i'm sure a million times let's just do one more for safety okay so my one more for safety question is um, do you think your younger self would be proud of you? Hmm. I mean, I'd hope so. Yeah, I'd hope so. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know that's an interesting question, uh, because you know my younger self, um, especially in my early twenties, thought that 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 uh, me then thought I I had it figured out. You know what I mean? A lot of people do. You just like oh, you're yeah. very you're very confident and you're very um, you're just very sure of yourself, which is can be useful, um, <laughs> and 
So I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that that younger version of me would be like, I don't know, would have some fucking um, smart ass thing to say too. But yeah. I would like to think that they would be proud. I mean, the fact that I, um, I have stuck to stuck to and stayed true to myself for so long in terms of I said that I was going to do this thing and I've done it and I haven't quit yet. I think that that is something to be proud of. Uh, 100%. And I would like to add that that comp- that confidence that your younger self uh, is brimming with is actually fucking ignorance. That's yeah, what it is, yes. you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That confidence and ego that allows you to like just charge through life like nothing uh, is important is is just ignorance because you just don't have the experience yet. Um, and I, I would I would add that um, you definitely should be proud of yourself. I mean, what you've accomplished and and like you said, sticking sticking through it and making it fucking work because that's 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 the most important part of all of this is just sticking it out because on a long enough timeline and a long enough you do the right work for long enough it is worth it and yeah you know absolutely man anyways um this is so fucking awesome like it was really i'm really grateful you took the time out to uh to talk to me and um to get to know each other better you know we sort of yeah man we got to work together a little bit um and i felt like i got to know you a little then but uh i feel like i know you a lot better now um i still like you a lot so that's good Uh, (laughs) well that's good um well dude no thanks for making it happen man i I, uh i appreciate you reaching out this is all because of you so ah well uh come on anytime uh anything where can people find you website instagram what do you like um um whatever their choice instagram if they just google i mean the google is your friend you know just google michael <laughs> just, MacArthur and the just stuff fucking will come up. google it don't yeah. worry i'll put it in the uh the description of the episode for everybody okay. um this is awesome man i i really appreciate it and uh talk to you soon so yeah brother michael's so cool i mean that voice even just his speaking voice is uh it's got such a nice quality to it when i was reviewing this podcast to make sure there was no like bad edits or whatever i was just like man my voice sounds like shit compared to his and it's just talking anyways i feel like this was one of my my favorite discussions in a little while and it was sort of rooted in what drives you to keep going and to pursue a goal or a dream or whatever you want to call it but the concept of just being a professional, I think, is is really important. And I'm just going to keep talking, even though the music sort of run out here. Being a pro is important, no matter what. Even if it's a job you uh, you don't like, do it well. Be a professional, because that's it bleeds over into everything, and it's really important. And then, just real quickly, I know I know the music's gone, and this is just weird to listen to. Hey. My clock just turned over. Did you hear that? Um, there's a really important kind of fun moment in there, at least for me, uh, of him sort of talking about how his first his first show was terrifying. And he was just like, the celebration was when it was over. And then now, having been in for 10 years, the celebration is happening on stage. You're, you're able to be present and in the moment and enjoy what's going on and the shared experience that we're all having. And that's what this is really all about. And that's where you should be working towards in 
any profession. You know, when I started out in the studio, the engineer said, look, man, this is kind of like the NFL. When people come up from, from college, they say the game hasn't slowed down for you yet. And it hadn't. And that's that's when you're in that state of, I just got to get through this. And the celebration is when it is over. And you have to work towards that moment of the game slowing down and you being able to be present and enjoy the process because that's when you do your best work. That's when, you know, those creative, that's when you open yourself up to creativity and, and capitalizing on those moments of, of true inspiration. You can't capitalize on those things if you are not ready to receive them and you can't be ready to receive them if you are just focused on the end, getting to the end. So be present. That's all that we have. Uh, Wow, that got really philosophical. Anyways, whatever. If you're still listening, kudos. Can you hear my stomach growling? I'm fucking hungry. Anyway, thank you for making it this far. We will have more of these. I'm going to start just dropping little short solo podcast here and there of just whatever the hell is on my mind and i'm currently working on getting some more guests so if you listen and you like be patient thank you bye